Thank you, Brother Dan. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 1. <clears throat> and I was thinking uh, earlier in the week, as I went through this lesson, and this is our second part of the radiance of Christ, uh, just a, a tremendous study uh, from the Scripture we'll be using tonight. And uh, I remind you again, God is good. He has been gracious to us. And uh, But anyway, let's begin tonight, Hebrews chapter 10. Somebody volunteer and read verse 1, please. Thank you. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Of the law, in our text, for the law. What in the world is the law? Say it one more time, please. Okay. 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 Yeah. Uh, again, there are a lot of laws, but basically if you have ten, the Decalogue, and there's, I, I don't remember who counted it, but somebody says over 600 laws. I'm not sure about all that, but there's a lot. Uh, Old Testament system. And it's interesting, the writer of Hebrews, whoever it is, says the law was only a shadow of good things to come. Uh, if you will, better things. And not the very image of things. Now, it's also interesting, uh, there was a sacrificial system instituted under the law. Uh, and certainly, uh, God's children would bring different kinds of sacrifices for different kinds of sins. But once a year, on the Day of Atonement, there was a sacrifice offered for the whole nation and the high priest of going to the Holy of Holies. And they did it every year. Why? That's right, they kept sinning. Absolutely, yeah. And and the writer of Hebrews is right. It was the right thing to do because God demanded it, but it could never take away the sin. And you're right, Dan, they kept on sinning. So what we look, began looking at last week, the old covenant of the law, was a prefigured, and it prefigured, but it also illustrated the new covenant. That's why the writer of Hebrews refers to it as a shadow. So it's kind of a sketch, if you will, the foreshadow of what was coming. And of course, the good things are the new covenant, and the writer of Hebrews uh, describes that in chapter 8. But here's what I want to ask you tonight when we think about this. And by the way, we'll be going back again tonight uh, a little bit to Exodus 34. We did that last week uh, because we see a good illustration there of what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. But my question is this. Um, Moses is considered the lawgiver, right? I mean, it came from God, but it was during the time of Moses it was instituted. So he's considered the lawgiver. So again, is it, would I be correct in thinking 
that there was no sin until the law was given. You're shaking your head, but I can't hear your rock rattle. Always been saying, amen, Dan. And, and I, we all realize that. That's, that's the thing right there. The law made us aware. Absolutely. And the problem with that, that standard, we weren't keeping it. No one was. No one could. Not 100%. Now, so the bottom line is when we think about the law, and we know when we get to uh, the New Testament, uh, Paul writing in Galatians about the law, he said, if you're guilty in one point of the law, you're guilty in what? All of it, okay? And so the law, the old way, brought condemnation. And we'll touch on that again, but we spent a lot of detail last time on that. But it was glorious, though, the law. It was, it was, there wasn't anything wrong with the law. Where, where was it wrong at? We couldn't keep it. So the law was glorious. But that which was glorious then brought condemnation. And so now that we've got a better way, a new way that makes us right with God, and Paul alludes to this when he writes to the church of Corinth, he said, if the old way was glorious, which it was, the new way, which doesn't bring death, it brings life, Certainly we would agree it is far more glorious. Far more glorious. Sorry? Yes, it's perfect. Now, keep in mind, before the new came, the law was there. And I think somebody already said it a moment ago, sin was before the law. But the law just showed us what? Yeah, we're sinners. We are sinners. Now, we, we read these verses last week. We won't do it again tonight. But basically, the, the law, the Mosaic law, proved, number one, that man is ungodly. And you can read that in Romans 5, 6. But also, in the same verse, we are without strength, which means we can't help ourselves. We can't save ourselves. But also... Later on in chapter 8, verse 7, Paul said, we are enemies, we are in enmity with God. So the law, you know, under that dispensation, it was showing us who we really are. We're ungodly, we're without strength, and we are rebellious against God. And by the way, we could not continually submit, and Dan, you were right, they went every year because they kept on sinning. And same is true uh, for us. But they were continually, and man was continually revolting against God. But now that trial period, if you will, is over. Now, it's interesting. I think it's in Galatians as well. I don't have the verse in my notes tonight. Uh, but Paul describes uh, the law as a schoolmaster. Uh, sort of a tutor, if you will, until the real thing came. That's what it did. It pointed out the sin in our lives. But now that Christ has come, now that Christ has come, uh, we are now under the divine sentence of God, and there will be no excuses. We have to agree with God's word, yes, I am a sinner. 
No, I cannot save myself. I don't have the strength. And in my natural self, my life is in rebellion against God. Somebody read Acts 14, verse 15, please. Do I not have that? Yeah, I do. Okay. I'm sorry. 14, 16. Okay, let's go ahead and read Acts 17.30. We'll make a comment then. Acts 17.30. Alright, it's kind of interesting as we read those two verses, Acts 14.16, Acts 17.30. It it gives us the indication that uh, there was a period of time God allowed things to go on. But does that mean that God condoned sin? No, He never does. He never does. Uh, but He hadn't yet judged it. But now, Jesus says, or Paul says, He, he said, God has commanded everybody to repent. There has to be repentance. Now, here's what's interesting. This is a very serious warning. God says, He commands every man, all everywhere, to repent. So I want to ask you, I made the statement, but is God serious? Yes. Very somber, very serious warning. And I would suggest we do well to listen, to heed the warning of God. Now keep in mind, When we think about the old covenant, the law, that dispensation, if you will. When we think about the nature of that, when we think about the consequences of their failure to respond to God. I want to say today, because Christ has come and died, that consequences they had won't compare to the ones who reject Christ. It simply cannot be compared. Now, please understand, God is offering forgiveness through the finished work of Christ. When will God send another Savior? Never. This is the only one. And so it's interesting, God commands every man everywhere to repent. And I mentioned this last week. This is where the gospel meets us. And I don't have the verse now, but you know, Jesus told the Pharisees, I didn't come to heal, heal those who were well. I came for who? Those who were sick. Now we know what he meant, okay? <coughs> Basically those who admit. So we gotta, we gotta bow to God's demands. Yes, we are guilty. We are sinners. And what's interesting, the gospel comes to those who are already lost. The gospel comes to those who are already godly, those who are without strength, and those who are rebellion against God. That's who the gospel is for. Now really, the gospel is for everyone. We know that. Jesus died for the whole world. But only the ones who recognize they are in desperate need of a Savior are going to come. So the gospel comes to us in our lost state. And the gospel comes and reveals to us the amazing grace of God. 
Because no matter who you are, if God saves you, what have we done, or you done, or I done, or anybody done, what have we done to deserve it? Not a thing, yeah, yeah. Just falling at his feet, say, Lord, here am I, a sinner. The gospel comes to us. But again, please understand, the gospel is for everyone, but it will never be welcomed. Never be welcomed until the sinner bows to the judgment of God. God says, I command men everywhere, all men everywhere, to repent. Go back again. Let's read verse 1 of Hebrews 10 again one more time. Amen. Now, by the way, um, I didn't do a word study on that word perfect there, um, but I'm, I'm assuming without, and I, I, I stand to be corrected here, um, it probably means to be mature. Because I, I tell everybody, that, you know, as far as the Bible talks about, I only know one perfect man, Jesus Christ, and they crucified him. So it could never bring us to completion or maturity, if you will. And and so, you know, God made that, Mark? Good, good, yeah, good way to put it there. It just, it just couldn't do it. Now, again, what was wrong with the law? Nothing. It was on man's part. So, God made it with Moses and Israel. They're on Mount Sinai. He made a covenant. And, of course, they were etched in stone. God wrote them there. And the writer of Hebrews says they were simply a foreshadow of the new covenant. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians again, chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. Okay, thank you, Dan. I wanted to point something out there, um, just so you understand. First of all, uh, does God make mistakes? Does God never? Does He have a plan? So you know that didn't work like I thought it was going to work. I better come up with a new one. No, not at all. But but no, we touched on this last week a little bit. Once Moses had received those ten commandments, they and again written by God Himself. He comes down off a mountain, and Moses didn't realize it, but his face was glowing with the glory of God. Now, think think about that. And so, keep in mind, and, and hear me well, Moses had spoken with God on that mountain. He spoke to God face to face. And the glory, that word glory, 
there in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, is the word we get the word doxology from. And what it does, that word describes the wonderful, awe-inspiring, indescribable, indescribable presence of God Himself. And it's not just brightness. It's hard to describe God. And it is brightness, but it's more than that. It's God's complete wholeness and completeness. And so when Moses came off that mountain, <clears throat> unlike some TV preachers today, he didn't come down and gloat and look at my face. I've been in the presence of God. He didn't know his face was glowing. He had no idea. But they saw his face. And they were afraid to approach him. Now remember, he just received the law, the old, the shadow. And if that was glorious, how much more glorious is God's plan to give life through his spirit? I want to back up to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and look, if you will, again in verse 7. But if the ministration of death, written and engraved in stone, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses, for the glory of his countenance, notice this, which glory was to be done away. So my question is, did Moses' face Shine continually with that glory till the day he died. No, it faded. And say it again. No, you just can't. Well, because you get that glory in the presence of God. Yeah. And we'll touch more a little bit on that. But notice this, folks. It was going to fade away. Also, an indication the shadow was going to fade away. So it's always in the plan of God. Go again to Exodus 36 this time, verses 24 through 28. And we'll take several passages. But in the Old Testament, God promised a better covenant. A better covenant. So somebody volunteer and read Exodus 36, 24 through 28. Are you in Exodus? I'm sorry. I, not with my fault. I can't make the difference between Exodus and Ezekiel. Let's go to Ezekiel 36. 
Now, mentioned, Dan, you mentioned earlier, you know, they, they struggled with it. At the, and these were Jews. These were Israelites. And, of course, all mankind does. But God says, I've got a new covenant plan. It'll be totally different. <clears throat> it won't be written on stone. It'll be written where? In your heart. And God says, you'll dwell in the land I give to your father. You'll be my people. I will be your God. Jeremiah had something to say about that. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. Anybody want to read that? Thank you, Phyllis. Now, again, through the mouth of Jeremiah, through the pen of Jeremiah, God is promising that new covenant. I'm sorry? Did he what now? <laughs> now, did they know each other? Probably not. They were... Yeah, they, they, and, and certainly uh, a lot of liberal scholars would say they did. How else would they do the same thing? But again, we're seeing the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here, uh, giving them God's message, and uh, very similar message. Uh, yeah, Marvin, that's great to put out there because uh, you know God is speaking to them through the Spirit of God, and they're relaying what God has laid upon their heart. Now, please understand. This was new for Jeremiah. It was new for Ezekiel. They'd never heard of such a thing like this. But, you know, I like what Jeremiah said at the end of uh, what you just read, Phyllis. He said, for I will forgive their sin or their iniquity, and I will remember their sin when? No more. Under the old covenant every year, over and over again. Sacrifice over and over again. But God said, under the new, I'll, I'll remember their sin no more. Second Corinthians chapter three, look at verses two and three. Thank you, Dan. I think we can see a similarity between what was going on in Paul's day and what Ezekiel had prophesied, what Jeremiah had prophesied. And one of the problems in the Old Testament, and the problem with mankind in general, 
We've, had, we've got hearts like stone. Isn't that true? And now Paul says, now wait a minute. Something's going on here. Somehow, your heart is now impressionable. And the only way that happens is by divine help. Divine working in our hearts. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what's interesting is this. Paul is preaching the gospel of Christ. And he says to them, it's a letter that God is sending to Christ to you, not written on stones, but where? Written in your heart. The Spirit of God has come. He's working in their heart. And God is using the Spirit of God, is using Paul as a pen as he preached the gospel. And it's interesting, every mark that Paul made in somebody's life, it's there because of the power of the Spirit of God. And that's what makes all the difference in the world. Now, here's what's interesting. What is written in our hearts, what Paul was preaching about to the church of Corinth, What's written in our hearts is the knowledge of God, now revealed not through the law, but through the mediator, revealed in grace and through a new covenant. Grace and a new covenant that it would be true in the hearts of all the saints. Like Jeremiah, God said to Jeremiah that they might know me. Thank God. And then Paul, in the same text, he goes on and he asks the question. Now think, now keep in mind what a responsibility he had. He said, he asked the question, who is sufficient for these things? Now, basically, what's the answer for that? No one is. But Paul recognizes, he recognizes, in himself he's not sufficient. But Paul says, I am made confident by the very God who called me to preach to a new covenant mystery, not of the letter anymore, but now a covenant and ministry to the hearts of men and women. Folks, here's what we got to understand. And I don't know when I finally realized this, but I want to say too late in my Christian life. There was a time I thought it was my job to get people saved. It was my responsibility. And one thing that bothered me the most all the years, my dad and I worked together, and I was never able to lead him to Christ. And then one day I heard another preacher preach about this, and he made a statement. He said, if, he said, if I thought it was my responsibility to get anybody saved, he said, I could never sleep at night. What is our responsibility? Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. It's God's responsibility. It's the Spirit of God who changes that hard heart, that stony heart, and makes a heart that is soft and pliable ready to receive the Word of God. 
So Paul says, the only reason I am confident to do this ministry, God has given me that to do because it's not of the letter, it is of the Spirit. Go back to Exodus 34 again, verses 31 through 33. Okay, thank you. Now, it's interesting. Um, he called those rulers together of the congregation. The rest of the people came near. And until he had finished speaking with them, he put that veil on his face because they were afraid to draw near. But make a mistake about it. What was Moses holding in his hands? The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. The two tables of stone. And without a doubt, it was a ministry of condemnation. Thou shalt not, and if you do, you shall surely die. Now remember, the nearer the light of glory came, when it was connected to the righteous claims God made upon them, the more afraid they became. Now, I hope you haven't had this happen to you recently. But maybe you've been a time, maybe you have a cabin or whatever, or maybe even your own home. You come in and turn the light on. And they see a bunch of bugs scurrying across the floor. Where are they heading for? The dark. They can't stand the light. And here we have the nation of God's people. When they saw the glory on Moses' face, he had to put the veil over it. But he also saw the Ten Commandments, what God required. And they realized, they realized that God had put those upon them And they were afraid. And the law condemned them because no one in their flesh can even come close to meeting the demands of the law. (laughs) And yet, being a type, a shadow, that's what a shadow is, it's a type, it was blessed even though it was literally a ministry of death. Now, hold on. I mean, think about Moses. What a godly man he was. But was he sinless? No. Um, But here he talked face to face with God. But as godly as Moses was, Moses was was not a life-giving spirit. 
He couldn't do it. He just simply couldn't do it. He could not give his spirit to the people. Now, certainly he set a good example, but he couldn't impart to them what he had. But also, the glory of his face. As as afraid they were of that, could never get him to conform to him as their mediator. Now think about that for just a moment. God had called Moses to lead him out. And they saw some great miracles he did from the get-go. So then that being true, they were just eager and hunky-dory to do whatever Moses said. No, I don't think so. You're right. Far from it. So he couldn't, even that glory on his face couldn't make them accept him as their mediator. We know several cases they rebelled, or at least a group of them did. We're just as good as you are. Even his own sister said as much. Isn't that true? So you can't, he wasn't a life giver. He wasn't a quickening spirit. He simply could not do that. And so the veil had to be on his face. <laughs> Both reasons, I think, Marvin, because you. Yeah. Well, there's some jealousy involved there, but yeah, both of you are right there because, and here's what's interesting, and I'm not sure it'll be part of our lesson, but I know I've read it, getting ready for this lesson. Uh, the problem I have, I, I'm usually working on two or three at one time, uh, I, you know, Sunday school and different things, but anyway, and we may part, be part of this lesson, but here's what you need to understand. The glory is going to fade away, but also understand for a period of time, he would come out and talk to them. He'd have the veil on his face. But whenever he went back to the tabernacle or the tent of testament, whichever one it was, to speak with God, he took it back off. So, again, but also, it was going to fade. And it's kind of like church sometimes. When the roller coaster rides over, people won't get out. Isn't that true? And so that they knew it would have a detrimental effect. Yeah, he did not want them because it would disappoint them. It, it would just now again, unlike some TV preachers today, Moses wasn't proud of the fact he wasn't saying, "Looking at me, who I am." That wasn't the issue at all. But he knew it would have an adverse effect if they saw it fade away. Uh, so, you know, that's it. we have to understand that. He wasn't out for his own glory, not at all. Second uh, Corinthians 3.13, again, under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, Paul gives us a little bit more insight. Okay, again, now, remember whether it's, whether it's Jeremiah or Ezekiel, we read them earlier, or actually any writer of the Scriptures, Paul included here, uh, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he interprets the veil over Moses' face as an effort on Moses' part to conceal the fact that his radiance was fading away. And, and you mentioned it a moment ago, Philip, and, and, and it was losing its brilliance. But understand, now, 
uh, that Christ has come and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul realizes that that fading of the glory of Moses' face was a sign that the old covenant which Moses had brought to the people would also fade away. It would fade away. So, and Phyllis, you were right a moment ago when you touched on this, the veil on Moses' face, it kept the Israelites from seeing the glory fade away. And so, again, it wasn't a permanent shining, but it's evident from the Scriptures uh, it required renewal by conversation with God. And that's exactly what happened. Now, again, it was not to be a permanent thing. God never intended for it to be. And he never intended for the law to be a permanent thing. It was only a shadow. So it's interesting. The effect of the veil was that the Israelites could not see through to the end. They couldn't see through the end, the finish of this shining, that one day was abolished. Now, hold on. (laughs) Hold on. When we think about veiling the glory that Moses had, it also was there to veil the fading of the glory and in one way, it hindered, if you will, the Israelites from understanding the true nature of things. Now, let me pause for a minute and kind of get our mind around this just a little bit. The Jews, even in Paul's day for the most part, they were bent on being keepers of the law. Because they, they, they felt like we can earn this thing. We can, we can get good enough, you know, da-da-da. We can do this. Well, the truth is, the truth is, they couldn't. So, they didn't understand the true nature of things. Now, let me ask this question, and those who know a little bit about the New Testament will know the answer to this. Was Paul having trouble with people dealing with this law thing even then? Sure. There were Judaizers coming to the church and said, well, you know, uh, you can be saved, but you got to do this. You need to be circumcised or, or certain things. And so this law-keeping really became a hindrance. You know, uh, Romans, I believe, let's see, 9, 10. I'm going to say around chapter 9, maybe 10. Paul talks about the Jews having a zeal. And they did. But it was toward the wrong direction. It was toward the law, not toward Christ. And so that hindered them. And what's interesting, the fading of the glory of Moses' face, again, symbolized the fading of the law. And that was a hindrance. So my question is, when will the gospel fade away? Never. When will the new covenant fade away? Never. And so there's no hindrance. There's no hidden uh, fading, if you will. No lack of full understanding. Uh, 
And now we can learn by the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, the true nature of a personal relationship with God. So my question would be, what in the world did Paul know about Judaism? Everything. I mean, he was a Jew to the core, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. (laughs) And when you get here, you can't miss the fact he's treating Judaism as an economy. And he says, the problem is, the Jews, even in his day, for the most part, had a spiritual blindness. They simply could not discern the deeper significance of the ministry of Moses. Now, hold on. What was that? Well, Moses is saying, hey, God's got something here that's great. And it's going to fade away, but rest assured, here we've played with something even more glorious, even greater. And most of the Jews could not get beyond that. Because, now hold on, Moses and the law was a type of Christ. And they were there to point toward Christ. It was just a shadow. And by the way, we, we preached on Joseph last, last Sunday evening. And his life was a, was a type of uh, Christ. And all types, all shadows point to Jesus Christ. And so we think about the glory on the face of Moses. We think about it fading away. It signified the fading of the law. The shadow of good things to come was, is going to replace the, those things under the old covenant replaced by good things. So Paul is trying to drive a point home in 2 Corinthians. He says, if you think the law was glorious, and it was, the radiance of Christ is far more glorious. Because it will never, ever fade away. Now remember, in the old economy... They had to offer their sacrifices over and over and over and over again. How many times did Jesus die? Just once. Once for all. And for all time. The new covenant is more glorious than the old because it will never fade away. Romans chapter 10 verse 4. Amen. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Do you remember the time, and I don't have the verse in my notes tonight, when Jesus said, except your righteousness, righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees, guess what? You can't go to heaven. And as a young Christian, that bothered me. I mean, those Pharisees were quote-unquote, righteous to the core. Would you agree? And Jesus says, if my righteousness doesn't exceed theirs, I cannot see the kingdom of God. The problem with their righteousness, it was their own. And the Bible says, Isaiah says, our righteousness, 
our righteousness is like what? Filthy rags. I want something better than that. So Paul says Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Stop trying to pedal that bicycle. Let Christ provide your righteousness. So the veil on Israel's heart is self-sufficiency. And because they were trying to be self-sufficient, it made them, even in Paul's day, still refuse to submit to God's righteousness. But when that veil, when their heart turned to God, the veil will be taken away. There'll come a day when Exodus 34, it's going to be a tremendous chapter for the Jews. They're going to realize that God has kept his promise. They will be privileged. They will be excited to see what we are now already privileged to see. And all of that had an end. That law thing. It had an end on which we can now set our mind on. And that's through infinite grace. Fix our eyes on that. And that end is the glory of the Lord as mediator of that brand new glorious covenant. What a God we serve. Amen. What a God. The end of righteousness. He came out of death. Where's he at now, by the way? Jesus. On the right hand of the Father, he sits on high. <laughs> and the glory of all that God is, is, is in grace is shining in his face. And we are now born again through the blood of Christ. Exodus 34. Look at verse 34 and 35 again. Okay, again, he would put it on when he spoke to the, to the people of Israel. When he went in to speak with God, he put it, took it off of his face. Second Corinthians 4, verse 6. Thank you, Dan. How in the world did Paul know that God commanded light to shine out of darkness? How did Paul know that? Thank you. He read the book. Now, I want to submit to you tonight a question. A God who can call light out of nothing can do what? Anything he wants to. So Paul said that, Paul said that same God who said, let there be light, and there was light. That same God has now shined in our hearts. Wait a minute, Paul. Is that possible? Yes. Notice the sequence here. Since God was able to command light out of darkness, could he not shine in our hearts and make a difference? Yes. That's what Paul is saying. And he said he's done that 
to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And he's done that in the face of Jesus Christ. So when we think about Moses, we read a moment ago, thank you, Philip, for reading that in Exodus 34. He would go into God's presence without a veil. That, my friend, is a type of the age that we live in now. You and I as Christians, we behold the glory of God's shining face in Christ Jesus. What a privilege. What an honor. Moses went on the mountain. Or he went to the tabernacle, the tent of testimony, to meet with God. And he saw the glory of God on his face. But now we see that glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. And so instead of being smitten with fear, the Bible says we can approach him how? With confidence, with boldness. Because now that we've been declared righteous by Christ, God's law can no longer condemn us. Because he whom the Son sets free, it's free indeed. He is free indeed. And the reason the law does not condemn us is because every demand of the law has been met by Jesus Christ. Every last demand. Romans 5, verse 2. Amen, fellas. Paul said, Action by faith into this grace where we stand. And we, re- we rejoice. What, re- what does rejoice mean? Yeah, we celebrate. Were they celebrating when they realized the law and Moses' faith? No. Now we know the first time they were partying, but God took care of that. So instead of trembling before the glory of God like they did, we now rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Which would you rather do, tremble or rejoice? Yeah. In Christ Jesus, we rejoice. Now, what's interesting is this. There's no veil on the face of Christ. We see God's glory there. There's no veil on our hearts. And he makes those who believe on him to live in the knowledge of God. And in response to God, you can hear me well. What Moses could not do, Jesus did because he is the life-giving spirit. Amen. He makes us alive in God. (coughs) Who did Moses make alive in God? Nobody. He couldn't do it. It wasn't his calling. Christ gives the spirit to all who believe. We have this spirit of the glorious man, the God-man, in whose face the glory of God shines. That spirit lives in us. Now, may I say to you tonight, If the Bible says it, it's true. 
So that's not the issue here. The issue is, do we really believe that? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Thank you, Dan. What a tremendous statement. What a tremendous statement. <clears throat> if we didn't have his Holy Spirit, we would never have the right or the liberty to look on the glory of the Lord. Never. We would never to see him as the Spirit uh, of these marvelous types. But because of Christ, because of the Holy Spirit, we have the liberty to look on it. And Paul says, as we gaze upon his glory, we are slowly being changed from glory to glory to glory to more glory to more glory. That's the thought Paul's having here. And we're being changed by the Spirit of God. Now, hold on. Did Moses have the glory of God in his face for a while? Yes. But remember, the surpassing glory of the new covenant could never have been seen or known until it would shine in the face of the one of whom Moses was only a type. And that was the face of Jesus Christ. And folks, don't miss this. The shadow was only temporary. But the spirit of Jesus Christ abides. For how long? Forever. It abides. Because Christ was the spirit of it all. And the ministry of the new covenant continues and survives and it abounds in glory. Let me try to get my mind a little bit straight for a minute, hard to do. I'm thinking Second Corinthians chapter 10, Paul talks about it. He talks about that rock in the wilderness. Remember that? Who was that rock? Jesus Christ. He was a spirit. And so Paul says, you know what? I'm a minister of the new covenant. A New Testament. And Paul realized that there were differences. There were contrasts between the two covenants. There was a difference between Judaism and Christianity. Uh, some of the, what the old is called the letter, and the new is referred to as the Spirit. One was mainly concerned with the external. The other was the internal. The one killed. The other gave life. The law was glorious. We, we established that. The gospel was much more glorious. The old covenant ministered death. The new covenant ministers the spirit, our life. And so again, the law said you're all what? Guilty. The law concluded all under sin. 
And if it was glorious, how much more glorious is the administration which announced righteousness to all who would believe in Christ? Far much glorious. I want to say today, folks, it's more glorious to pardon than it is condemned. Far more glorious. It's more glorious to give life than to destroy. And the glory of the shadow of the old covenant fades in comparison to the glory of the new covenant in Jesus Christ. But also understand, the fact remains that Judaism is done away with and Christianity remains. Another, a fifth difference between the two. One was kind of obscure and ambiguous. The other involved plainness. Chapter 3 of Second Corinthians, verse 12. Anybody got that? Chapter 3, verse 12, Second Corinthians. What does that mean? I'm clear. I don't beat around the bush. I don't have shadows. Uh, we don't, you know, that's not how Paul said I use plainness of speech. It is very clear, very to the point. Now remember, all of those ceremonial things of the Old Testament, they all pointed to the reality. Paul said, what I'm saying to you is the plain, it is the real deal. And the problem then and today for most Jews, they were blinded. There's still a veil over their eyes. And so when the writings of Moses were read, they could, they were not able to look beyond to the real thing. They simply couldn't do it. How much time we got left? Oh, we're about out of time. Well, let me ask you a question. Which is better? Which is more glorious? The radiance of Jesus Christ. How many are glad for grace tonight? Amen. Amen. Let's stop here tonight and let's go.